This episode of Safe Space Radio is brought to you by Physicians for Social Responsibility and listeners like you. This is WMPG. My name is Anne Hallward, and I'm a psychiatrist here in Portland, Maine. This is Safe Space Radio, a show about the subjects we would struggle with less if we could talk about them more. This week, we continue our series on the emotions that we hide. We'll be doing interviews and airing stories about loneliness, guilt, humiliation, and jealousy. Today, we focus the conversation on guilt. I'm someone who has struggled with guilt a lot in my life, and the only experts that I ever heard talk about it were the Anglican priests that I grew up with. So I was excited to talk to somebody who has really studied the experience of guilt from a wide range of perspectives. So I reached out to Stanford professor Hirant Kachadurian, who brings together psychology, philosophy, and religion to examine the nature of guilt and especially what it takes to alleviate it. Haran Kachadurian is Emeritus Professor of Psychiatry and Human Biology at Stanford University and the former president of the Flora Family Foundation. His latest books are Guilt, The Bite of Conscience, and his memoir, The Way It Turned Out. Welcome to Safe Space Radio, Herant. Thank you. What was it that drew you to teach a course on the subject of guilt? What is your interest in that? Well, um, I chose guilt... Uh, partly because it would be amenable to approach from a variety of perspectives from the evolutionary, biological, psychological, social, historical, and so on. And also because of a personal reason. Namely, when I was a late teenager, I had a lot of issues with guilt in that I felt like I was feeling guilty over things I shouldn't feel guilty or feeling guilty for too long that I needed to feel guilty. So comparing myself to my fellow students, it was a little like they seemed to be cheating on their taxes, whereas I was paying taxes on money I was not making. <laughs> so that, so that's, that's essentially how it got started. You were working for tax reform. Right. <laughs> how, how to even it out a little bit more. Tax reform in my own life, not IRS. Yes, exactly. And so what kind of thing would you feel guilty about for too long? Well, the, the reasons that I felt guilty ranged from, you know, issues that would be true for anybody my age as a late teenager, such as issues of sexuality, what is right, what is wrong, etc. But also the tendency to be perfectionistic meant that I would pick sort of essentially trivial issues and make mountains out of a molehill. So it's everything from things that anybody could understand to things that most people wouldn't understand as to why should a young, healthy, smart teenage boy should be perturbed by these ideas. Mm-hmm. So you, you felt you know, like you were suffering with an excess of guilt in a way. You know, That's I, exactly right. And yes. what I understand is that some believe that our capacity for guilt is related to our capacity for empathy. Well, now, in retrospect, do you feel in some ways that that was a marker of your capacity for empathy? You could say that. I mean, of course, empathy is the basic idea in evolutionary approaches to guilt. I mean, that's essentially saying that you don't feel guilty unless you can put yourself in somebody else's place, which is what empathy is in a shorthand. So, yes, I would say that there was an excess of empathy. If, if this, I mean, this sounds like a nice thing, except that it can become a burden. It clearly was a burden. 
It was a burden. And yet, current, you know, current theory about guilt is that it's considered a very pro-social emotion, that guilt really motivates us to make repair. Um, would you say that in your own life and maybe in the experience of your students, because I know you taught this class for many years, did people speak more about the, the sort of downside of guilt, the suffering that it can cause, or more about the ways that it motivated them to, to repair and reconcile relationships that were very important to them? Well, to answer your first question, which is sort of more uh, the topic of guilt, not necessarily the experiences of my students, is that guilt is an emotion. It's in itself neither good nor bad. Clearly, it's, it's an emotion that we have evolved during millions of years of evolution. We are born with the capacity to have empathy and guilt, just as we are born with the capacity for language. But that capacity has to be fleshed out by the cultural component that says, these are the things you should feel guilty about, this is how much you should feel guilty, and so on. So like anger or any other natural emotion, you have both sides, excess or insufficiency. Remember, there is also a very serious problem of insufficient guilt, which makes you essentially a psychopath. So it's sort of a necessary price of living with other people. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's eventually the whole point is that if you do things that hurt people, and you feel guilty, should feel guilty. You know, we talk about this like, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists just discovered this. But in fact, it's, the, the, there are very, very deep insights. I, I use the example, for instance, of how the Lord's Prayer uses the terms forgive us. Forgive us what? It is forgive us our sin, forgive us our debt, forgive us our trespasses. These are all in the same prayer. But these three words have very, very different valences, very different burdens. Sin clearly is sort of the heavy duty. You've done something wrong to offend God. That is, is makes a lot of sense. Uh, if, you, if you commit something, if you do something wrong, you incur a debt. And trespass, of course, is a very good way of conceptualizing. You are trespassing. You are, you are trespassing into somebody else's territory. That means that person's body, mind, emotions. You are in a place in that person's life where you have no business being. So you can see that something like is 2,000 years old and has nothing to do with psychology as we understand it, really captures the fundamental ways in which you can conceptual this idea of what is guilt. Yes, I, I, I really like what you're saying that they, all three of them, they captured three very different aspects of guilt. And speaking of prayer, I think maybe um, I want to ask you now about confession and the urge to confess. I want to tell you a story. When, I, when I, I, I went on Facebook to invite people to tell me a story of guilt so that we could record it for the show. And I literally type in, you know, do you have a story about guilt? These are the categories of guilt we're thinking of and so on. Because we had stories about stealing and stories about not being there for your parents at the end of life. But I wanted some other right. kinds of stories. And I pressed post on Facebook, and within 30 seconds, immediately, two windows pop up on my screen. Two people start confessing their story to me. And by the time I was done, I had six windows on my screen, which yeah. was within about 10 minutes. 
Yeah. Uh, six different people wanted to tell me this story that, to unburden themselves. I am uh, not surprised. I've never had anything like that happen before. And tell me about that, the, the strength of that urge to confess. What do you make of that? Well, remember that another way we said, we said sin, we said debt, we said trespass. Guilt is also a burden. And you don't want to get rid of that burden. And one of the ways you can do that is by confessing, sharing it with someone, just just saying it without necessarily, you know, somebody giving you absolution. The Catholic Church has this incredibly interesting and effective way of helping people get rid of guilt, and that's the confessional. So you go, you confess. The priest has a a script which you go through at the end of which this, this, the slate is wiped clean. Martin Luther made a very serious mistake during the Reformation, getting rid of the confessional. In your book, though, you say that there's potentially a downside to confession because it might alleviate the urge to go and repair it with the person that you've trespassed against. And that actually right. uh, there's really a, a potential downside to that. Maybe Martin Luther was onto that. Well... In the confessional, it's not just a question of confession. After you confess, you also have to go to the person that you sinned against and make that person know that you acknowledge that. That's not the end of it. Then you have to make compensation, reparation. You have to seriously promise that you're not going to do it again. So if people, it doesn't have to be only in the confessional, in everyday interactions, if you say, okay, I confess, so it's over, well, that's an abuse. That means that you are going on the first rung of the ladder, but this is a ladder that has five, five rungs. You are not getting to the, to the top, which is what you need to do. I see. Got it. Let's just say what those five rungs are again. So the first one was confession. The next first was... First of all, you, first you have to acknowledge to yourself. Uh-huh. You recognize that I did something wrong. Okay. Or or I failed to do something that I should have done. So, okay, let me use myself as an example. I did something wrong or failed to do something right. I acknowledged to myself that this was wrong. And eventually it has to be acknowledged by me that it's wrong. It's acknowledged by somebody else. It doesn't make any difference. Right. I acknowledge that I did something wrong and I offended you. So I come to you and say, I did I this wrong and you may have realized it, you may have felt hurt or you didn't know, but I have to come clean and tell you this. Now, what was the damage? How can I make up for this? Right. How can I compensate this? And, and beyond that, you have to say, I also, I am going to make an earnest attempt not to repeat my mistake. Now here, this is very important. Having done this, you are entitled to be forgiven. If the entitled. person doesn't forgive, entitled okay. to be forgiven because you can't do anything more. And if you do this, God will forgive you. If you do this, the person you offended should do should forgive you. If that person doesn't, walk away. Then you can make them otherwise feel guilty. You be, <laughs> otherwise, you become a hostage for the rest of your life. And uh -huh. people use... Both individuals and cultures and nations use guilt to hold people hostage, above and beyond what they are owed. 
Okay, so, so that's another abuse of guilt. Yeah, so let's slow down because you're saying so much here that really interests me. So what I'm hearing you say is if you acknowledge it to yourself, you apologize to the other person, you ask them about the damage and you're willing to listen to it, you offer to make it right, and then you agree that you will never do it again. If you do those five things, then you are entitled to forgiveness. And if they don't, exactly give, it to, right. if they don't give it to you, then walk away because that's you're done. You don't need you're to... Done. You don't need to carry that burden anymore. You've done enough. That's right. That's right. Speaking of carry that burden anymore, there's a very, very interesting saying by the Buddha who says, after you have crossed the river, don't carry the canoe into the forest. (laughs) I love that. Put it down on the bank. (laughs) Right. Get rid of it because you've done. I think that's that's a very, it shows a profound understanding of the correct right way of dealing with guilt and maybe even you know i'm thinking about times where i where i have really tried to follow those five steps i don't know that i was laying it out quite as sort of clearly the way you've just laid it out and where i still feel guilty afterwards and in a way i guess i've always wondered if that was because somehow my apology wasn't sincere enough or i hadn't listened to the damage um wholehearted maybe that the other person had refused to tell me the damage like that's i think a place that it often gets stuck is that you can ask the person you know i'm so sorry i've hurt you tell me tell me about the impact that had on you and they won't go there they won't tell you about the damage if they don't go there then they are short short circuiting the proper way of your getting that's like saying after the five steps they won't forgive you if if any of the steps they opt out, then they are essentially violating this basic contract you have with this person to get rid of guilt, of which you are the two parties. So the individual, the the victim also has obligations. Uh Tell me about those. Well, one is to to listen to the apology, to make an attempt to understand it, uh, to be reasonable in what kind of compensation you want, and give the person the benefit of the doubt that they are not going to do it again. They are the same five obligations from the other side. So the way you're talking about it is like the offended party, you know, has these obligations. But from their perspective, they might say, I don't have any obligation. I'm an innocent party. Why? What? What is the interest for them in actually following through on these obligations? The, the victim has to understand that just as he or she has the right to have the perpetrator of the offense to set things right, the victim also must allow this problem to go away, this curtain to be lifted. And, you know, we make mistakes, everybody makes mistakes, and we should allow people to be, to come to terms with it if they are earnestly doing it. Otherwise, once again, you are using it to hold the other person hostage. And you can do this at every step. Now, we have, to, we have to understand that there are complicating factors. For example, the person hurts you and you are very angry. Now, you need a little bit of time to calm down because you can, before you can hear an apology. Because you are so flooded with anger that you are not ready to make peace. If that happens, then the other person has to wait. And what about with something truly egregious, like a parent who abuses a child and the child is, has been 
really, their whole life is affected by it. And then eventually the parent is contrite and wants to ask for the child's forgiveness. And the child feels like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not obligated to forgive you for what you did. What you did was unforgivable. What about that stance? For a child, it's very difficult to say, do it otherwise. But when that child is grown up and an adult, maturity requires that you allow wounds to heal. I mean, if you're not a religious person, this may not make as much sense. But the model is that God forgives everything. And that means everything. If one approaches God in a, with a proper attitude. So if God forgives everything, who are human beings not to forgive? We're not God. <laughs> well, but you, you are not God. But, but the point is that you, you have to emulate so far as possible what God says human beings should do. Look. But then it seems like you can fail at forgiveness. I mean, there might be a way that you really do believe that you should forgive, but you honestly can't find it in your heart to do. Well, then, then, then you go into therapy. <laughs> Good answer. Because that's a problem. See, what right. you just said is perfectly understandable, but it's a failing in acting as an emotionally mature and good person. So you want to be a good person. A good person does not allow suffering. This is, again, not just Christianity or Judaism. This is also in Buddhism, Confucianism. You have to prevent suffering by not allowing somebody to come to, come to terms with this wrong thing, egregious as it may be, you're not, you are allowing suffering to continue. Now, you may say, he, this, this person deserves to suffer. Well, that's vengeance. Mm -hmm. And yes. vengeance is, is not a healthy emotion. Although many of us have it at least temporarily. Temporarily, anything goes. I mean, this is this, you know, you are temporarily angry. You are temporarily are not in a position to deal with it. So this, this is not to say that every offense is kind of 50-50. But there has to be an acknowledgement that the, the victim also has a responsibility not to let this kind of anger, pain, suffering pile up without getting kind of, this is like metabolism. You need to get rid of it. You know, I really, Otherwise, I, it's a poison. I really appreciate you saying that. I find myself feeling kind of thrilled <laughs> okay. as someone who has struggled with guilt. Also, I find that really kind of hopeful and, and freeing. So I thank you for saying that. Sure. One of the things that you said in your book that really in, intrigued me was you talked about how, um, you know, guilt is finally motivational. It's often motivational to make the kind of repair that you're just now laying out. Um, but in psychotherapy, as a psychiatrist, uh, you know, we're taught this concept of rupture and repair, where, uh, where there's an inevitable rupture in a relationship in therapy. Yes. You know, you disappoint your patient for whatever reason, and that if you can repair it well, perhaps by yeah. going through those five stages that you're discussing, that the trust between the therapist and the patient is actually stronger than if there had That's been right. no rupture at all. That's right. Aha, uh -huh, because in the book you talk about how the price of guilt is heavy and that it often leaves scars and that, um, you know, that, that a repair may not ever be as good as if there had been no rupture. So I'm curious about yeah. that distinction. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, but Islam has a principle that in some ways 
the person who is alienated from God and goes back to God is a better person than somebody who was never alienated. This is another version of this is the prodigal son. Okay. So the prodigal son, one son has always done the right thing. You know, great, give him a medal. But the <laughs> father's heart goes out to the other son who, who caused damage. I mean, that, that is counterintuitive. It sound of, sounds unjust. And of course, the, the, the older brother was very offended. He said, I have done everything you want me to do. And this, this jerk who ran away with his inheritance and squandered it, now you are taking back into your bosom. It's tough. <laughs> this is, but that's, it's that's not what, fair. It's not fair. This, this is if that's not fairness is not the issue here. I, I, I really love that in a way. So that these religious texts are encouraging people to take risks, be who they are, and trust that's, that if they are truly contrite, it will be fine. Yeah. So I want to come back to a, a specific example. We have uh, on the show, we have heard stories about stealing. Yes. And in every story of stealing, the person was caught and confronted with the theft. And in every case, in that humiliating moment of being caught, they lied. And they yes. said, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Right. And then later, in the years that followed, the yeah. thing that they felt guilty about was less the, the act of yes. stealing and yes. more the act of lying. That's right. In every case. And I'm curious to ask, how do you understand that? Well, I understand that because in some ways, stealing is a more, um, what shall I say, uh, not necessarily a compulsive act, although there is compulsive stealing also, but an impulsive act. You see something, I mean, the child sees a toy, takes it away. There is no forethought. But when you lie, you are making a decision to essentially deny reality, which you know is true. So in that sense, there is more there is more of a burden in the lying than the original impulsive taking something, which doesn't make it right. But still, it's kind of in the heat of the moment element to it. There is no heat, heat there is less of a heat of the moment element in lying. Although you can also lie because you want to avoid pain. I was going to say I'm not sure that that's true to my experience or at least these stories, which was that. This, the the theft was impulsive in almost every case, but the the lying was they were suddenly called on the carpet, you know, boom, unexpectedly confronted, and right. the li- the lying was very impulsive, and it was absolutely in the heat of the moment. Um, and that's self defense. That's absolutely right. At that point, you're lying because you're under attack. Yes. Well, the thing that I wondered about is, um, I wonder if the lying. Uh, is harder to live with if the burden is heavier, partly because you're sort of thwarting the process of healing. And it's like if the first step of, of healing is acknowledging to yourself or at least confessing, yeah, and you're, right. you're kind of botching it. So you're sort of, bo- right. you're in a way, you're painting yourself into a corner like you can't get out that's now. That's a very good point. I think that's the better explanation than I gave. That's very gracious. It is, it is. In- incidentally, apropos these uh, is accounts, when I taught this course for 10 years, the last 10 years of my career, I mean, a teaching at Stanford, and subsequently teaching the same course more or less at continuing studies, which means that the students now are at the ages of these undergraduates, parents, sometimes grandparents, I always ask them to write an account of an experience of guilt 
or shame or etc. You know, half a page, one page, whatever, anonymously. And I collect these. I have hundreds of them. And I use these to illustrate what aspect of guilt we are talking about because they really uh, speak more loudly than the theoretical explanation what guilt is, etc. And uh, it's, it's an eye-opener and there are some surprises. For, for, I mean, one surprise is that people who are now in their 60s are still worrying about something they did when they were five. Yes. And it was a trivial thing. St. Augustine, this revered bishop in his 60s is worrying about some, some pears that he stole from a tree. Come on, you know, I mean, look what you have done. This is one of the monumental figures in Christianity is worrying about, you know, five lousy pears. Yes. Another theme that has come up in the stories that we've been airing on the show has been about the, the difference between inner forgiveness and outer forgiveness. Like, say, I, you know, as a child, I, I hurt someone or I take, I steal something. And then I go back eventually and I confess it and I say, I'm sorry, I acknowledge it. How can I make restitution yes. and so on? And they forgive me. But inside I feel like, oh, I did this terrible thing. You know, what kind of a person am I? You know, all of yeah. that. Well, that's, that's another example of, if you want to call it pathological guilt or maladaptive guilt, is that you are not taking what's due to you because you have you have gone through the steps you deserve to be forgiven there is no but there is no revisiting the same crime you can be tried for a crime only once you confessed you went through it you can't you can't be dragged back into court so as we've talked it's clear that it's possible to have too much guilt kind of pathological yes. guilt and it's it's possible to have too little guilt to be a psychopath as you said at the beginning how are there kind of guidelines or benchmarks for a person to figure out which zone they're in if they've sort of stepped too far in one direction or another and, and ways to kind of bring it to that more healthy zone in the middle? Well, short answer is no. There are no sharp guidelines. <laughs> <laughs> Just like there are no sharp guidelines for anything of this sort. Now, that doesn't mean that you have no idea. One very good way of looking at this would be to say that if you are if you are feeling the pain of what you have done then that tends to be more on the excess side if you're making other people suffer and you're not feeling the pain that's clearly what a psychopath feels psychopaths know what they are doing is wrong but it, they don't feel bad they they are lacking this capacity it's not that hard. I mean, if, unless you try to split hairs, most people intuitively know whether they are suffering from excess guilt or inadequate guilt, or other people know about them. And you have to listen to other people, not just yourself. I love that. I mean, for me, listening to you, hearing that once you've followed all those five steps of confession and acknowledgement and restitution and so on, that really you are entitled to forgiveness and to walk away feeling you know, that you're done, that's a, that for me is a wonderful benchmark. That's a way of knowing enough's enough. You've done, you've done what you need to do. Right, right, and if right. you're still carrying it after that, then you're, you know, you're in excessive guilt. That's, it's very, it. it's very helpful. Heron, yeah. this has been such a pleasure. It's been a delight to talk My to pleasure. you. I'm so glad am, this worked I'm, out. I'm glad what we did. I, I shouldn't have given you a hard time about the headphones, but it worked. <laughs> 
Don't feel guilty about it. I forgive you. I am not feeling guilty. <laughs> I'm feeling slightly ashamed. <laughs> and I would have regretted if I had said I was not going to do it. When I read Haran's book, I learned from him that the largest category of guilt is the guilt that we feel about the way that we take care of our parents toward the end of life. So for next week's show, we'll be bringing you two stories about the way in which we either show up or don't for our parents at the end of their lives and how the guilt about that can really stay with us. If you like this show and want to hear more of our series on the emotions that we hide, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Safe Space Radio. And you can find us on the web at safespaceradio.com and listen to all of our past shows if you want, especially in this series where we already have a few on loneliness and another one on guilt. While you're there, please subscribe to our email list to find out about each week's new show as soon as it's released. My thanks to Gabe Graben for producing the show and to Jim Russell for being our editorial advisor. Coming up next is Speak Freely. Speak Freely.